This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Welcome it is officially Mon- uh, it is Monday, but I'm in officially October. Wow, coffee has not kicked in. Um, today's episode is actually an interview that Adam did before he left Overdrive and left the podcast. Um, an interview he did with Drew McGarry about his new book, The Night the Lights Went Out. Drew's been on the podcast before. Adam is a huge fan of his, so we are we are happy to have him back on the podcast. And um, this is the last of the episodes or interviews Adam had that we've not posted. So, um, yeah. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Um, I think very short and sweet intro we got going on today. Um, Happy October. Happy, happy spooky season. Um, and that's all I got for y'all. So enjoy this episode. An interview with Drew McGarry on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. by having the author themselves introduce their book and, and yours especially being a memoir feels like something you should probably introduce so do you want to kind of give our listeners just an introduction to the night the lights went out uh yeah sure i i'm drew mcgarry yeah uh correspondent for defector and for <laughs> sfgate.com and the author of the night the lights went out a memoir of life after brain damage uh which i wrote after dying uh <laughs> and being in a coma for two weeks and uh waking up uh severely disabled and uh coming back to life slowly after that and it's the story of that it sounds it's more entertaining than it sounds it sounds like a complete <laughs> fucking downer but i swear it's not yeah no it's it's extremely entertaining it finds that somehow you find a way i mean anyways familiar with the writing you find a way to be funny even with some of the morbid stuff but at the beginning of the book there, there's something that you do where i mean it makes perfect sense when people understand you talk about the two weeks that, you know, you weren't with us. So you literally interview your family and friends. And just, I'm curious what that experience was like, like asking all these people who you're so close to about what it was like saving your life and, and then kind of waiting to see if you were going to come back. Well, so the first draft of the book, what I did was I tried to piece it together from my own memory because I had written about what had happened right after I got out of the hospital and then it published yeah. to Deadspin in May of 2020, or I'm sorry, 2019. And um, for the book, I took that original piece and I blew it out uh, mm-hmm. in, in much, much more detail. And then uh, at the end of the book, um, I went back and I said, you know what? I, you know, I'm not a reliable narrator for what happened because I was, uh, I was comatose. And then I was just totally whacked out of my fucking brains on drugs. Yeah. And I was 
uh, you know, I was hallucinating at times. I was angry at times. And I was uh, also interpreting things because of my brain damage. I was interpreting them in, you know, I was perceiving things in ways that, you know, uh, a, a healthier person would simply not perceive them. Mm-hmm. So I went and I said, well, I'm going to interview everybody who was there to get a really accurate depiction of this. And everyone was perfectly willing to do it. They were totally cool with it. And I said, I said, you know, only I would hear the recording. You've obviously, you know, I put your words in print, but only I would hear this recording that you did. And, uh, and then I rearranged, and I arranged everything into this, you know, sort of oral history. And my editor read the first draft and he's like, well, why'd you put all the good shit at the end? <laughs> and so the, the, you know, the, the, my account, from my perspective, we basically got rid of that and we put everyone else's perspective up front and it made a lot more sense um, ultimately in, in the end, but talking to everybody about it, everyone was very, very kind. Uh, and, you know, to a point where like, like, you know, I felt guilty asking people to relive this, particularly it was, it was early in the pandemic when everyone was terrified and fucking couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not nice to be like, well, by the way, would you like, while you're here suffering through this trauma, would you like to relive a trauma from a year earlier? <laughs> and they all said, okay. And, um, and you know, what happened was, um, like, it was very useful for me to know how they felt and what they had gone through. And it gave me a much better perspective, you know, going forward about, you know, um, you know, not only how to take care of myself, but how to take care of them as well. And then when it came out in book form, my dad read it and was very overwhelmed and was very touched by the book and thought it was good. And my mom could not finish it. And I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wasn't going to give anybody who had lived through that. I wasn't going to obligate them to read the book if they didn't want to. Was it, but, but while you were asking them questions and stuff, you was it, I mean, I am sure it was emotional, but I mean, was it hard to hear their answers? Like, especially from the night of when you had your accident, like what was kind of going through your mind while they were telling you this stuff? It actually wasn't. Um, Cause the one thing I did before I talked to my friends and my loved ones and my doctors was I said, when you're talking to me, pretend I'm not me. Um, pretend I'm a journalist asking you these questions and you're just talking to some random asshole about what it happened. Mm-hmm. And of course they knew I was me still. You, know, you can't put that out of your brain. Um, but I never, there was never a moment where I was uh, sort of traumatized mm-hmm. by what they had told me because frankly, I wasn't awake for the yeah. majority of it. I simply don't remember. So I remember being more curious and you know the parts where I was surprised um, were not all that surprising. Once you know, you know, you know, four people were all saying the same thing. You know, yeah. and so there wasn't. Uh, you know, I'm being a bit slow and a bit choppy here, but I, I just wasn't. There was never that sense of devastation. I was never awake to be scared. Yeah. And so I had to essentially re-engineer my trauma through listening to them. They were the ones who really had to deal with a lot of bullshit. Mm -hmm. I was just some asshole strapped, you know, to to a hospital bed, you know, trying to like rearrange cones on a shelf so that I could be (laughs) a normal person again. Hey, I can actually still remember um what I like as a just a (laughs) fan of yours and a fan of like I said of that's been a defector and and all your books and everything. Like I remember 
because obviously, you know, like your co-hosts and your co-workers and everybody, no one's going to come out while you're in a coma and be like, so here's what's up with Drew. But like, I remember when you woke up, there's like one point, I think you wrote about it in the piece you did for Desmond, like you put like two or three tweets out there while you were absolutely like under the influence and like, yes, <laughs> but like, and I like the thing that like made me not laugh about, but like kind of made me smile. Is like, I am absolutely one of those people who like, I from afar feel so close to your, like the group of you who were at Deadspin and who are now at Defector because of just the way that you all write and you interact with fans and everything. Like, so to see just like those few tweets, even though I'm sure your wife was just eternally pissed at you for doing it, like seeing that you were writing something at all and like, holy shit, that's, he might be okay. Like, yeah, until you saw like the second or third tweet, then you're like, oh, he's probably not all right at all. I actually, so there's a backstory to that where I woke up, I thought in my mind, I was, I was like up and like, I was like, why am I still in this hospital? Get me out. Like totally irrational, not really comprehending what had happened. Mm-hmm. And I had my phone and I was like, oh, my phone, I can tweet again. And, uh, and my wife, I, I started I issued, I fired off these tweets about what had happened to me. I was like, Bill, I gotta tell you what happened. I just bled into my brain or like some, or I choked on my own blood from my brain. That was what I tweeted, which was incorrect. Yeah. And uh, my wife was not in the hospital at the time. And she started getting all these, her phone blew up while she was on a crosstown bus. With her friends like, uh, your husband's tweeting. And, and she was like, oh shit. And she was, she was, uh, she was across town. And she was dropped something off from my folks. And she was like, she's like, I have to run back and get his phone because he's a fucking mm-hmm. idiot. So then she got on the bus back uh, across town and, and ran up to the hospital and took my phone and would not give it back to me uh, unsupervised for the rest of my hospital stay. I had that part in the book, but then I, I realized it was not like to a general audience. It was not all that terribly interesting. Like this yeah. has been a process of me discovering just how uninteresting parts of my uh, existence are when I used to think everything was worth writing about and disclosing, mm-hmm. which is not, it's really not true at all. So, yeah, I, I mean, I agree, but I also think like, and this is, this isn't even directly connected to the book, but like, I love, and like the, the thing that I always tell people about your writing is like, you seem to give the same amount of passion to writing like a profile on Anthony Bourdain as you do like a fun bag question where someone's like, what's the best kind of topping to put on a pizza? And is it good the day after? Like you do see, you're right. I understand what you mean by like, not everything is worth running with, but you seem to have at least like a passion, truly like a passion for writing that to write something is better than maybe to write nothing. And, and to ask a question of this, to be a good podcaster and a good interviewer. Yeah. I found myself being really interested when, throughout the book when and people will learn about how all the different things you had to go through basically like relearning how to taste relearning how to smell really getting cochlear implants and everything but like throughout a lot of it you kept talking about how you know you were basically asking your boss like let me write let me, I need to work let me start writing and like kind of like bargaining with your wife like an hour a day just let me write right like did you find yourself having to like relearn how to think about storytelling or just like anything like that or did that just come back kind of naturally no that was all still there um if i look back now at the things i wrote particularly before i went into therapy 
like my mood, I give away my mood. Mm. And it's not always rational. It's not always good. But my ability to write never wavered. Like I suffered brain damage in a lot of different ways. It affected my mood, like I just talked about. And of course, mm. it affected my sensory organs. Um, but whatever cognition I had for writing did not dissipate. Um, you know, I was I had brain damage that manifested itself in much more vestibular uh, ways. But the writing thing, the, the thing about writing is that I don't like overly dramatic writers. Like there are writers who just never shut the fuck up about the process. <laughs> and they treat it like it's some sort of uh, Sisyphean torture that they've been assigned. Like, oh, I, a guy had to write three pages and throw them out and woe is me. And I've never had that because it's always just been fun. Yeah. Of course, the kind of writing I'm doing is usually very fun because I get to interview celebrities or mm-hmm. you know, trash talk football teams and things like that. Uh, but it's always just, it's never been this, uh, I don't know, sort of religious calling. Mm-hmm. It's just what I like to do. Yeah. And of course, I'm good at it. And when I don't do it, I get ornery and I feel like I'm out of shape upstairs, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like I feel flabby and annoying and useless. Uh, and so that's why I had to get back writing. And also because I was like, well, shit, I got a lot of good material now because <laughs> I died and then lived. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty decent uh, to, you know, use some social media parlance. It's a pretty good flex to be able to be like, yeah, I mean, I came back from the dead. It's not a big deal. I guess I'll write about it. If you get yeah, because yeah, I was not a terribly interesting person before that. It's like, yeah, I grew up, you know, a well-to-do Minnesota lab. Who gives a shit? But now I'm the guy who died. So that's way more interesting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Do you find yourself <laughs> approaching writing assignments any differently now? Like, even if it feels the same, just like, from a mindset standpoint, because obviously, like you said, like, you know, we're recording this in, in July. So I assume coming up will be, you know, why our team sucks and a various, yep. all the various stuff that you always work on. And then, you know, eventually there'll be the Williams and Sonoma ship, but like everyone, everyone knows like those things, but you also, you know, you do your fun bags and all sorts of different stuff. Like it's similar assignments by and large from before you did this, but yes. do you find yourself approaching things differently? No, I don't. It's not the approach, it's the after where, um, so this is really egotistical, but who gives a shit? Like, I know if I wrote something good because I will reread it after it's posted like four or five times. I'll be like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, let me reread it again. I'm my favorite writer. Ha ha ha. (laughs) Um, And I don't do that uh, as often anymore because I've gotten better at being Mm self-critical. Like, I was always self-aware. But I was I didn't do much about it. You know, like I was aware I drank too much, but I kept drinking too much, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, um, like the process of writing is is all the same. But afterward, I'm a, I'm a little bit more clinical in assessing what I've done. And sometimes I'm not as interested as what as what just posted. I'm like, mm, that was, you know, OK. So there are times when I feel like, well, I'm just sort of. You know, it really depends on the post. Like I wrote something this week that I really liked and I'm very, very happy with. A lot of times I'll write something that, you know, I feel like is filler Mm. and I'm not, it's not that I'm unhappy. It's that I'm just, okay, well, I need to be be better about that. So it's really about judging my own work. And I'm a bit more discerning about that now than I was before. Well, and I mean, I imagine one of my 
jobs here at Overdrive is I, I write blogs for our, you know, our library part, library and school partners. And obviously a major part of your job is blogging. And yeah, I mean, like I imagine not every single piece can be something where you're like, put, let me put this on the wall. Like there is some, I imagine there's some stuff you're like, well, you know, and I, whether it's you or someone else at Defectoring, it's like, well, Gianna scored 50. So I guess we gotta, someone needs to write something good about this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, we do have, we do have that. And, you know, we do have the right people for that. And I do, I, you know, I am sort of like, okay, do I really have anything to say that's going to be different from what other people have to say? When it's something like, you know, yeah, Giannis scored 50 to win the NBA finals. You know, you're not going to get a perspective from me that's better than someone who really knows the game and has Mm -hmm. watched every single regular season game, you know, you know, closely and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I will say that the one, the one, the one thing that was different uh, was that, so before I suffered my accident, I was two chapters away from finishing a novel called Point B. And when I woke mm-hmm. up, I really wanted to finish the novel, you know, sort of like uh, as an existential, like I'm back sort of feeling, which I yeah. did. And then, um, and then no publisher wanted to buy it, which sucked. But then I, I self-published it anyway. And I was very, very maniacal about that book for a very long time like mm-hmm. i was very emotionally invested not in its success although i still have high hopes for its success um but just in terms of the story itself like i was living inside the story like that's what you need to do when you write a novel or any book yeah. like you just you get over the fact that oh i have to write a book you and you just sort of you luxuriate in the fact that you're in this world and it's in your head and you can retreat to this world anytime you want and I spent a lot of time in that world, almost mm-hmm. to a fault. Um, so there was that moment where I wasn't necessarily letting go of something that, you know, that clearly meant something more to me beyond just, well, I, you know, I wrote a book and I want to sell it. All that. Yeah. <laughs> so you say you were two, you were two chapters away. Like, do you think the the two, the two chapters are, like wildly differently written than the stuff before. Cause it sounds like, I guess like the thing that blows my mind the most about this is actually my, my father-in-law had a, a heart attack. Um, like he had an experience not dissimilar from yours in the sense that like he had a complete blockage in whatever the artery is that they call the, um, the widow maker or whatever it is, like, like basically hundred percent blockage. And he had that happen um, at a like small Comic-Con in Detroit I think he was like and if it would have oh, happened I've, I've been to a small comic-con it's really weird yeah and it was one of those things where like if it had happened 10 minutes earlier he would have been in the car if it had happened 10 minutes later he'd have been on the show floor but where it happened to happen there was a um, paramedic right there they got into the hospital and like even at the hospital like my mother-in-law called us and was like you need to come say goodbye and when we got there he was like unconscious but they and they even said kind of like what I'm assuming the doctors probably told your family and friends where they're like if he wakes up, he's not going to be the same guy that you remember. And he's fucking fine. He's like, he's That's great. it's amazing. Yeah. Sorry. I should, I buried the, I should have started with that. Yeah. Um, no, I was going to make a, I was going to make a joke. Like was the doctor at Comic-Con, like, was he wearing a Darth Vader costume? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was Spider-Man. That's actually, but if your father-in-law had died, that would have been a bad joke. It would have been a bad joke. Had, if had, yeah, no, but they did. They use like the Spider-Man sticky thing to close everything up. They were great. Um, but no, he, uh, he same thing like his brain ended up being fine like he thinks the same like i'm fascinated by his concept that your brain more or less shut off for 
two weeks because it had to and it's come back and like was writing the, the end of of that book did it feel the same as like everything else it seems like everything's working like all systems go it felt the same because nothing about the brain really makes sense yeah. like and i did a lot of research for the like the lights went out about you know the physiology and, mm-hmm. and how it works and stuff like that but there's just still so much that they don't know right you know that it's very very difficult because you know like you want to think that one part of your brain is in charge of x task or things like that but that's not necessarily true it can be distributed mm-hmm. amongst different parts of the brain and how the brain does that handiwork is not always clear um so why you know like i you know that was one of the things i wondered i was like when i woke up i was like and long after i woke up because i didn't realize a lot of the extent of the damage until after after I got out of the hospital, yeah. but I'm like, okay, well, why, why am I half deaf and I can't smell and my taste is weird, but I can still walk just fine. Yeah. Well, although I had to, I had to go to rehab for walking. Or why can I breathe? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is my digestion working? Like, how the fuck? I don't know. That makes any sense. Yeah. And it's because the the brain is, you know, this big wonderful mystery that you mm-hmm. know that never stopped there. They never stop learning things about the brain and they will never stop learning things about the brain. It's inexhaustible. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a little curious and, and you talk a lot about in the book, again, like, like you said, kind of learning how to taste, you know, getting cochlear implants, like learning how to do all these different things. Like what did you find? Cause I'm, I mean, I'm sure all of it was challenging and frustrating as hell, but, and you talk about it in the book, but what, it, are there things like ongoing now that continue to frustrate you? Like, are you able, have you gotten your taste back and things like that? I mean, it's been obviously like the book kind of ends at a certain place, but it's been a long time since you've written the book. And I imagine you're continuing to do stuff. Like, Right. So uh, essentially I feel as good mentally and physically as I ever have. And that's true. That's not bullshit. That, you know, like that's the sort of shit you hear like right before an NFL training camp. Roethlisberger. Right. Yeah. Before, you know, before the quarterback tears his knee in eight different places. Uh, but in my case, I feel excellent. Is my taste all the way back? No. But, um, and this sounds very weird, but I have fully adjusted to that fact. Okay. So in spots where, you know, in the very beginning, where I was always noticing what I couldn't taste, mm-hmm. that, has, that has done a complete 180, where I notice what I taste and that's that, and, it's, and that's the way it tastes to me, and it's fine. So- mm-hmm. Even things that I really thought I had lost, like ice cream, like ice cream does not taste the same as it did to me, which does not make any sense. Uh, and yet I can, I can eat it now on its own terms. I put a shitload of hot fudge sauce on it. Well, sure. And that tends to work. But um, like it, I have rewired how I live and how I think about these things so that the processes are not debilitating. Mm-hmm. makes sense it's very yeah. hard for me to communicate if you haven't been through it and i don't want anybody to get you yeah no i i know what you mean but like one of the things that i, I really was, was i found really fascinating it feels very weird to tell you that things in your book are really fascinating that you were struggling through but... no no i i find it interesting you know yeah. so like uh, with the is it cochlear am i saying that right a uh, cochlear implant that's correct yes yeah so to help your facilitate with your hearing and anyone who's familiar with your writing knows one of the things you're really passionate about is music. In fact, yep. uh, you and I agree on something very, very strongly 
the Struts being the best band in the world. Hey, I'm uh, seeing them. I will see them in September. So before this podcast has posted, I'm I will have gone to my first rock concert post pandemic. Yeah, um, that is fantastic. And but like one of the things that you talk about with the implants is the fact that like listening to music can completely change because you're kind of only hearing out of one ear and like are those things with the implant it's it's just about back to i don't want to say 100 but as close as it can be right yeah i would say so like it's a miracle it's just a fucking miracle it's the coolest thing ever and yeah i got i essentially got music back there are certain things that are different now so like for example like I'm wearing headphones talking to you. I, if I wear headphones while listening to music, I'm not going to have the cochlear implant on. I'm only going to listen through one ear, but I'm so used to that yeah. that I have rewired so that it feels like it's in the center of my head. It doesn't feel like if you plug up your ear right now, if you mm-hmm. do that yeah, so- and you listen to music, it'll be, you'll notice it. Yeah. Like it won't feel, it won't feel like it's inside your mind. Mm-hmm. It will feel as if it's, you know, essentially some sort of ambient noise coming through even though you'll be able to make out the melody and all that stuff. And that's how music was for me in the beginning. Um, And then when I got a cochlear implant, first of all, that, that more or less eliminated it. If I was listening to like uh, music through like a, like a, like a wonder boom or like a wireless speaker, which is what I do the majority of the time now. I listen to music. Yeah. And it's just the same as it ever was. Um, but if I want to listen to music privately, like on headphones or something like that, I can do that too, because I have learned essentially how to be half deaf. So I am, I am comfortable with the levels of deafness that I have at any given moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I have, like, I don't wear a cochlear implant to sleep, but I wear my hearing aid to sleep. Then that's good because I don't fucking hear anything. Else to <laughs> yeah. uh, but then, uh, then I wake up and I go and I put all, all my shit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hear everything and it's just like and I say in the book it's not unlike having glasses you're wearing glasses right now mm-hmm. you have walked around without your glasses on right you're yeah. like okay well I, I know where my kid I know where the toilet is I can go take mm-hmm. and but it's the same thing with with hearing apparatus where uh you know you're like oh okay well my hearing's a little bit blurry right now mm-hmm. and I'll put in my stuff and then it'll be clear but I know how to operate when it's blurry but that makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Uh, one of the things that you talk about at the end of the book that I've heard people who have had sort of like similar experiences to yours have wildly different takes on this, but how you sort of have like a sense of peace about what comes after this, like, or at least you, that's what you said, you sort of said in the book or. You mean death, right? You're yeah, about- exactly. Yeah, that was super vague. You're we literally <laughs> saying you're the guy who came back from death, and now I'm just like, you know, the great beyond, Drew. You know, the uh, the fairyland in the sky. Yeah, like what? How do you feel like, knowing that? So my father-in-law basically said to me, like he was almost he clearly was. He's a very gruff, quiet human being, but he's even more gruff and quiet lately. A and dad, just, like, gruff, I'm crazy, I right? I know it's insane. Um, but his his whole part was like, there's no, there was nothing there. I don't remember anything, but you seem to have the opposite take on it in the book where you're like, you had a sense of peace about it. Or am I completely misreading that? No, that's correct. Like there was nothing, but I didn't mind. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in a coma. Like, like, you know, I tend to think of death as like 
being stuck in solitary where you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I'm dead. You know, everything's <laughs> black. It's going to stay this way forever. That's not, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like it's not, there's nothing, but you're nothing. And you're not going to give a shit. And it's mm. fine. And it's funny because I had had a couple of other moments where it was like sort of near-death experience, but on the very, very basic level, like, oh, that car almost hit me yeah. and hit a telephone pole instead. Or I fell down when I was a kid in front of a speeding car, and it, but, it, it, but it stopped and I got up. And you sort mm-hmm. of like, you sort of, those things stick to you for a bit. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, all right, all right. And the irony is, I had the real deal thing where I really was, you know, near just about as close to flatlining as anyone can get. Mm-hmm. And that essentially cured my trepidation about it. Yeah. I don't worry about it at all. I worry about it in terms of like, okay, if I drop dead right now, my kids would be fucked. Like that would suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, in terms of just me personally, I don't, I know that there's nothing past this that's going to frighten or or hurt me yeah so and that's i think that's true of everybody i think that's true even of shitty people yeah Um, i don't believe in heaven i don't believe in hell i just think there's this there's a beyond and i think that you know you're you're gonna be comfortable with it whether you like it or not (laughs) yeah it's gonna happen it's happened to it's gonna happen almost certain it's happened to everybody i'm pretty sure it's for the best i mean it is i mean death exists for a reason you know, there's there's a mm-hmm. reason that we evolved to die, and yeah. and it needs to stay that way. Yeah. Um, all right. This is I'm I'm gonna grab the the cross section of our two podcasts, which has to be like eleven people. I have two things that we have to do. I have a guy for you to remember, and I have a debtor canceled that people like. To Ooh! Wow. Yeah. Tables have turned. Literary edition, though. Okay. Jonathan Franzen is he dead or canceled? Oh well, I don't know. Has he even been canceled? Because I mean, so, he's written some bad sex scenes. I guess he's canceled. So he's been canceled for being a misogynist. But here's the thing that's irritating as hell about Jonathan Franzen is he's not a ta- He doesn't look at anything. He never looks at social media or anything. So he has no idea how much people hate him for being right. a misogynist asshole. That's, that's the right move. Also, the other thing is that his new book comes out the same day or came out the same day as the night the lights went out. And so I must destroy him. And I oh, must, yeah. yeah. No, I must send him into the black. And hell awaits for him and him only. Um, all right, I've got a uh, remember a guy for you. Okay. Do you remember Umberto Eco? Yes, but I've never read any of his books. And in fact, this is extremely shameful, but I'm a bad reader, particularly mm-hmm. of fiction. Like I read a lot of nonfiction, like a Hanton Sides and Douglas Preston and stuff like that. But when it comes to novels, I do, I'm very, very bad. And so that's not a good position to be in as a published author because they'll be like, well, have you read Umberto Echo? And I'll, like, I'll be like, and like, I'm lucky if I've heard of the writer. So or I'm like, okay, I've heard of Umberto Echo. What, what did he write? Like, I think he wrote something that I watched a movie adaptation. Yeah, I, so the, the name of the rose. Yes, that's it. But here's the most important thing about him. Have you ever looked up, there's a very famous video of him, well, mildly famous, about his personal library? No. Okay. You, I will, I'll put it in our Zoom link after we're done recording. He had, there's a video of him. 
he's like they're in his personal library and he's like oh i need to grab this specific book and the the camera follows him and it's like the stacks of like if you're walking through new york public library he the man <laughs> had literally like a million books in his house all leather bound yeah exactly and like the thing is everyone's like wow look at his collection and i'm like there's no way you read any of them it couldn't have possibly read them it's absolutely insane. yeah i remember um, i had to watch name of the rose in school mm-hmm. and we we pissed and moaned we we're like oh and the movie's fucking great and we were like yeah. oh yeah i'm glad i got signed that yeah. that was a good movie absolutely yeah um all right so we towards the end of our episodes we do what we call the nerd nine just nine lighthearted questions um okay. the la- the first one is what's the last book you finished reading or something you're reading right now that- okay okay so the last book i finished reading was why peacocks by my former gq colleague sean flynn mm-hmm. and i'm reading how lucky which is a novel by my former Deadspin colleague, Will Leach. So as you can see, I only read books written by people I know, which is just no, so obnoxious. No, you guys are doing the right thing. I, I also appreciate it as a book nerd and fan of your podcast, every time you bring on someone from the factor that's recently written the book, I'm like, oh, nice. I'm going to check out. Was, I think, did Lauren just have a book come out? Lauren Tice? Somebody just had a book. You had a couple weeks uh, ago. Kelsey McKinney had a book Kelsey. come out. But it's always good to talk to authors because, yeah, they're going to plug a book, but that means that because they wrote a book, they're probably going to have some expertise in a certain field that you don't usually get into yourself. So they're going to yeah. have interesting things to tell you. And that's always good. Like, I, I, you know, there was a reason The Daily Show used to always have authors on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Bed. I always read before bed because it gets me in the mood to sleep. Like, I don't, I don't bring my phone. There's no phone in the bedroom for my wife and I. Like, we turn the phones off. We leave them downstairs. And then we read and that sort of sets the tone for being asleep. Now, sometimes I cheat and I just go right to bed, mm-hmm. but that's, that's where I, that's where I do the bulk of my reading. The no phone in bed thing is huge. I got to start doing that. That's so it's fun. not that hard. I, I, I tell you that when I go on business trips, I can't really obey that edict because I'm in one room mm-hmm. and it totally fucks with my sleep. <laughs> like the itch, um, like the itch becomes very prominent when it's just a foot away from me. Oh, that's so funny. Um, do you remember a book that you loved when you were a kid? How, like, do you mean like a child's book or like, can we go to high school or something? Either you could go to high school for sure. I've had people tell me like It by Stephen King. And like, I read it when I was 10 and I was like, well, you were too young to read that. But yeah, whatever, high school works. My kid wanted to read it when she was 10. And I said, yeah, sure. I don't give a shit. Good luck, kid. And she didn't. She didn't. Yeah. Get uh, anyway, the first novel I loved was Catch-22, which was, I, I was assigned it in high school. And I was like, I can't believe a book I was assigned is funny and entertaining and I'm mm-hmm. enjoying reading it. And it was the book that made me want to be a writer. So yeah. uh, it's Catch-22. Nice. Uh, is there a place you'd like to travel to that you have not yet visited? Oh my God. I mean, the list is so... Yeah, this is a pretty easy so question for people now, yeah. Um, let's say... God, there's just so many. I, I got a big. Let, let's be a. Uh, let's be lame and say Turks and Caicos, some just fucking baller resort in Turks and yeah. Caicos where I can chill the fuck out. <laughs> Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Easy. What's the best side dish? I know you guys talk about it every year. Stuffing. But... Yeah. Okay. So just making sure you have the right answer. So and best uh, best dessert. These aren't in the actual thing. I just got to know your. Uh, probably pumpkin pie. But you throw out an apple crisp, not an apple pie, but an apple crisp on there. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? I am 
I am a coffee person now. I was a tea person for like 38 years. And then I moved over to coffee because I have three kids. So there's really no choice. Um, and coffee now I do it because, and this is totally lame, but <clears throat> I have one cup of coffee in the morning. It gives me a bit of energy. And I don't drink tea after that because I used to drink tea sort of steadily through the day. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up taking a piss 9,000 times. So I have to stop doing that because I can't, you know, I, I already have old man bladder. I, I don't need yeah. to be old. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Fuck cats. Yeah, that's the right answer. Do you have a favorite food? Uh, let's go with um, a bagel. Everything bagel. That should be a good one. With cream cheese and then smoked sable. Not smoked salmon, smoked sable. It is fucking amazing. That's the a best dialect. idea. Um, and then last one is, if you could have dinner with anybody alive or dead, who would you pick? Alive or dead? Yeah. Oh, God. Let's go with Joyce, just to be literary. I'll say Joyce. Because he was also, he was a good writer, but also I think he was good company. Like he was funny. Yeah. He was extremely caustic. He was like unimaginably horny. So he was yeah. a good party guy. Oh man. All right. Last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading The Night the Lights Went Out? Uh, that they want to tell everyone else to read it and buy it so that I can come. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think it's that you. Uh, come away with it curious about your own mind and your own body because um, I used to say this a lot and I probably still say it where I'm like oh I know my body Mm -hmm. Um, you know you don't you absolutely don't there are things you're going to discover about your body and your mind throughout your life you had no fucking idea that, Mm -hmm. that that was coming or that you would know that you were going to feel things you never thought you would feel and it's terrifying at times and unpleasant at times but also rather extraordinary um that that you know you, when you think you've seen it all and heard it all and done it all you're not you're not fucking close you're nowhere yeah. near close yeah well the book is incredible and i say this with all sincerity uh, as my literal favorite writer on the internet i am extremely glad you're doing well thank uh, you thank you adam Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunenwald and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.